Our scripture this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 1. We are continuing in the Advent season. For those who aren't familiar with Advent, Advent simply means arrival, arriving or coming. And it speaks of God's arrival into this world uh, in what we call the Christmas season and all that God accomplished through the birth of Jesus. And it's just a reminder to us, as the Lord often does in seasons through the year, it's just a time for us to kind of stop and reflect on whether or not those dynamics, those truths that we read about are at work presently in my life today. Because the Lord wants us to be ongoing realities for us, that we want to open our heart every day, every season in new ways, and expect new seasons of God working in our life and, and showing us things and growing us and, and bringing fruitfulness through our lives. And then we go from season to season. So Matthew chapter 1 is our scripture. And uh, we're going to be looking at someone else this morning that we don't hear a lot about oftentimes. Matthew writes, concerning the birth of Jesus Christ, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement, but to do it quietly, as he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. As he lay awake considering this, he fell into a dream, and saw an angel standing beside him. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you shall call him Jesus, meaning Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. This will fulfill God's message through his prophets. Listen, the virgin shall conceive a child, she shall give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel commanded and brought Mary home to be his wife. But she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. The book of Matthew begins with what is called a genealogy. It's just a direct line of descendants down through the ages. As many of you know, the, the people of Israel began with a single man named Abraham, whom God called out of his life that he knew in Mesopotamia to become the father of this great nation for which God had great plans. And so Matthew has a record of everyone from Abraham right up to Jesus. From Abraham to David, Matthew says, there are 14 generations. From David to, the, uh, to, uh, to Babylon was another 14. Um, deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. Then another 14 generations on to the birth of Jesus. So you have covered by Matthew almost 2,000 years and 42 generations. And what's interesting is that when you read the genealogy, if you don't skip over them as many times people do, if you kind of look at the different names or the genealogy, discover a number of people that God is dealing with in such a way who, in whose lives God did some amazing things that they never dreamed possible. God did miracles in some of these people's lives, many of their lives, just simply through plans that he had for them. And by miracle, I just simply mean the hope that their life can change. God would often find them in just very ordinary circumstances, or sometimes in rather hopeless circumstances, God would have a word for them. God would use them, and their lives would change, and lives around them would change as well. Now, last Sunday, if you remember, we looked at the example of Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, and how she was an example to us of just the, 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 the kind of character that, that God wants to use, but also that God can, can renew within us, that God can restore to us that, that virginity, you might say, that purity of heart, that God is able to do a work in us through Jesus Christ by which he is able to call us saints. We are holy in the eyes of the Lord because our sins have been washed away, we have been made brand new creatures. Now, if we are holy, as the Scripture says, then that means that we can have every confidence that we can be intimate with God. 
We can be intimate with the Holy Spirit. And in our intimacy with God, we can talk to God. We can commune with Him. We can hear from Him. He can plant dreams and, 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 and miracles in our lives. He can do the same types of things that He did through the life of Mary. Mary. And ultimately, of course, we can manifest the person of Jesus Christ because we are new creations in Christ and He lives within us. This morning, I want to look at an individual really who's kind of silent through the whole Christmas story. In fact, what's interesting is he's not even given a, uh, a single line in, in the whole Christmas story. And then it seems that when Jesus was rather young, he just kind of disappears altogether. And of course, this person we're talking about is Joseph. He is the man that God chose to raise his son Jesus in this world, at least to a certain point. But Matthew introduces him. Now, as many of us are probably familiar, the Jewish tradition, there were two stages, two things involved in, in marriage. Uh, much like our culture today, there was the engagement, of course, and then there was the marriage ceremony. What's different in our day from their day is that in Joseph's day, when you were engaged to somebody, there were actually some formal vows that were involved in the engagement. And so your engagement was actually legally binding. So you would be engaged to this person, you would exchange those vows during your engagement, not just a ring, but you'd have vows uh, to, to them, to the families, and then you go back home to live with your parents, probably another year or so, while you're making your home ready. And so whatever time that took, but when it was finally ready, the groom would go and get his bride-to-be, and with his whole processional of people from the community and families, they would come through the streets, come to the wedding ceremony, where they'd fish to become man and wife, and, uh, and of course, with a whole feast and celebration for a number of days. So in Joseph's day, the high point for the couple, of course, was the wedding, but the actual commitment to one another was made long before that during their engagement. So when, when uh, you looked at maybe breaking off an engagement, it wasn't any small thing. It was basically the same as seeking a divorce. And that's what we read that happens here in Joseph's story. Now, as we saw last Sunday in Mary, we see in her, I believe, the process by which God comes to us, by which he places a, a dream, a promise in our heart. And of course, that grows in us and we bring that to full term. Joseph, I believe, is a wonderful story of how exactly it works when there is a determination in our heart to walk with God, how we are able to actually walk toward that miracle and see God do some very special things in our lives, to be part of some special things that God has in mind. And there's a few principles I want to share that I believe that we see in Joseph. And the first one is this. Joseph prepared himself to be used by God. It didn't just happen out of the blue. It didn't just happen because God was going to choose Mary. Oh, right, okay, she likes Joseph. I'm going to try to find a way to use him. What can I do with Joseph? No, God had this all ordained. Joseph was the man, just like Mary was the woman, because Joseph was a man who prepared himself to be used by God long before this story actually unfolded. Because, you see, Matthew says of Joseph that Joseph was a just man. That means he was a righteous man. What righteous means is not that he was just kind of puritanical. Righteous means that he lived right. He lived right. He walked with God. He, he understood God's ways. He loved God's ways. And the decisions and the actions that he performed were very much in line with the ways of God. And it was this heart that he had for God that actually enabled him to respond the way he did when he heard that Mary was expecting a child. Now, please try to put yourself as best you can into Joseph's sandals, I guess. Okay? Try to see where he's coming from. Okay? Mary tells him, I'm pregnant. 
What goes through his mind? Who have you been with? Then Mary says, no, you don't understand. An angel appeared and told me that I'm going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. And Joseph says, okay, now I understand. You should have said that first. No, Joseph says, you're nuts. You're crazy. This has never happened in human history. He had no idea. None of us did, of course, until it happened. So Joseph is impacted just by that news. All the emotions that anybody would experience when you've given your life to someone, you've committed yourself to somebody, and in that culture, all the shame, all the, all the heartache, all the confusion this would have caused. But because Joseph has a heart for God, he's able to rein in all that anger, all that hurt, all that pain. And instead of looking for a way to punish Mary, the Bible says he looks for a way to protect her. That gives you an idea of what kind of man Joseph really was. Rather than publicly defending himself at her expense, Matthew says instead he chose to arrange for a quiet separation. Now we've read the story, of course. We know an angel explains to Joseph that Mary is pregnant uh, by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And so what does Joseph do then? He decides he's going to marry her, and he takes that shame upon himself. Again, think about this. The angel says, this is of the Lord Joseph. Joseph could have said, that's good to know. Mary, I apologize. I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. I believe you now. Listen, I wish you all the best. No, seriously. You see, we've read the story. We've got 2020. Joseph could have done that. Joseph could have said, hey, Mary, I'm so glad. You know, you're a wonderful girl, but I didn't ask for this. Right? Ah, this is not something I want to do. But instead, Joseph takes her as his wife, and in doing so, takes all the shame upon himself. Not that it's rightful shame. He had no reason to be ashamed. She had no reason to be ashamed. But you see, the Bible doesn't say that after the angel spoke to Mary and then after the angel spoke to Joseph that many angels went through O town and appeared to everybody and set the story straight. Doesn't say that. Their immediate relatives might have believed them. They knew them. They knew their character, whatever. But you can believe it. The rest of the town would have had the same response as Joseph did. Right. Yeah, that whole family, yeah, they're kind of that way. You know? So... Just imagine that for a moment. Joseph had to take all of that upon himself and share that with Mary. And I think that's very significant. That Joseph actually responds to a word from God that changes his plans. Again, he could have said, hey, okay, it's all worked out, but that's not what I bargained for. That's not what I planned. But Joseph receives the word of God to him that's going to change his life forever. In fact, we see that Joseph really established a pattern in his life for putting God first. And because he did that, his heart could be open to receive what God had for him. Now, I want you to think about this. Again, it's so hard for us to grasp. We're really honest. We can't begin to fathom uh, what was going on in Joseph's mind. But, I mean, similar things do for us as well. But if you think about this for a moment, if you know your history at all, and you understand the Scriptures... If Israel had been a sovereign nation, if they were not under the oppression of the Roman Empire, if they were their own nation, Joseph was the rightful king of Israel. You do realize that, right? So was Jesus, the eldest son. But speaking of Joseph, he's the rightful king of Israel. So you can imagine every day he's walking by the palace, 
and the thought goes through his mind, that would be my place. I wouldn't be living this modest life. I would be living in the lap of luxury if Israel was a sovereign nation, if God had worked some kind of miracle so that, so that we would be a free people again. And yet what's so beautiful about, about Joseph is he doesn't allow his circumstances to turn him away from God. Now think about that for a moment, because I want to ask you this morning, how do you respond to God when life doesn't seem fair? What's your first reaction in your relationship with God when something goes wrong that you weren't expecting? When something makes life difficult, when something turns things upside down, when something isn't right or fair for you? Do you still love God? Do you still honor Him? Do you still obey Him? Do you still walk right before God even when perhaps things that are rightfully yours don't manifest? Or do you only really serve God? Do you only really acknowledge Him? Do you only really obey Him? Do you only really get involved in the work of God when life is going well for you? I want you to think about that for a moment and weigh that out as we move into a new year. And all the possibilities God may have for you, all the things that are in your heart that maybe you don't even dare to believe for, or you're saying, oh, that was so wonderful if that really came to pass. That's not the enemy speaking to you. That's the Holy Spirit planting dreams in your heart, calling you to greater things, calling you to the new things that he has for you. But the enemy is so easy, he can come by sometimes and cause us to look at things going around us and somehow make us either feel disqualified or just feel like somehow God's against me because things aren't really going that smoothly right now. You see, we see that Joseph served God because he truly loved him. Joseph loved righteousness. Joseph was kind of the kind of guy that, regardless of how things go around out here, I've learned in my walk with God that God's ways work best. And so I'm going with that. You know, you've heard it said, and I know it can sound kind of cliche-ish, but, you know, even if God wasn't real, even if the gospel wasn't true, if you live according to the principles of the Bible, you can really have a flourishing life in many ways. A lot of aspects of life that will escape brokenness and dysfunction, all that kind of stuff. You just walk in the truth of what we know to be the Word of God. Well, the same thing applies here. And yet Joseph, because of the, the circumstances that he found himself in, he could very easily have said, well, if God is really with me, well, then this wouldn't be this way, so I guess it is this way. Maybe he's not with me, so why should I really care about being that diligent? I still believe in God. I'm still going to try to live a good life. But we live in the midst of a Roman pagan culture, and there's a lot of stuff to enjoy here. A lot of people aren't living that way. So maybe I'll just kind of live a bit in both worlds. Sound familiar? And yet when the fullness of time had come, as Galatians says, he was prepared to be used by God. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning, as simple as it may sound, if you will prepare yourself, God will use you. I promise you. Whatever season you may be in right now, all this other stuff that's going on around us, we've been in for a couple of years, it is so easy to drift. It's so easy to kind of just go with the flow. It's kind of easy to give into the same spirit of what our culture may be, whether it's apathy, whether it's unbelief, whether, whatever it may be. It's easy to give into that and forget that in the day that Joseph lived, the times were much, much darker than they are in our day. And yet in the midst of that, God had people. In the midst of God, that God had positioned himself to do some incredible things that was going to separate history past from history future. 
Friends, God is not intimidated by what goes on in our culture or around the world. He's not intimidated or thrown off by any of the seasons we're going through. He is looking for people who walk with God because they love God, who walk with God because they love the ways of God, who walk with God because they understand God's ways work. Despite what's around them, despite what they may feel their rights are or their preferences are, they know that God is good. And they trust God and they walk with God and they continually keep themselves in a position and a posture that anytime God needs me, he can call on me, I am ready. I am serving him. And until he calls me to that, I'm going to continue to walk in integrity and in holiness and in righteousness and in communion with God. Prepare yourself and God will use you. Incorporate the basic spiritual disciplines into your life. Friends, we are living in a day today when more than any other time I believe in our lifetime anyway, people desperately need hope. They desperately need truth. They desperately need people who have a sense of faith, of positive affirmation, who have a sense of purpose and destiny. We don't get that just by going to church. We get that by going to the Lord, spending time with Him being in his presence, learning to hear his voice, jotting down, journaling the things he's showing us, working with the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to those things, seeing him grow things in our life, making himself known to us in real ways, what it is to commune with the Lord, what it is for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be an operation in our lives, all of these things. Because you see, no matter what is going on around us, we have the promise of the fullness of the life of Jesus Christ is in us. There is a river, a stream that makes happy the city of God. The scripture says, we have the well, the life of the Holy Spirit within us. No matter what is going on around us, we come to the table and we feast in the presence of the Lord. He sustains us. He is the one if we will turn to him. And it doesn't mean that life is always easy. It doesn't mean that life is always fair. But we know that God is good. And it's not a cliche. We lean into him. We lean into the goodness of God in the midst of these times. And we continue to prepare ourselves. How many know, uh, or you probably know the name at least, of Darlene Check from Australia, Hillsong. Remember Darlene Check? Years ago, she was kind of a bigger name, maybe not as much today. But uh, you may not be aware of her story. But Darlene Check actually was on the worship team at Hillsong. And uh, the church was actually preparing for this uh, recording, this live recording, this concert, first time. And uh, they had Integrity Hosanna music coming down from the States, and they were going to record the whole concert and maybe make some CDs and that kind of stuff. Remember what CDs are, right? Back in my day, um, eight tracks. But they were going to make, you know, make these CDs. Uh, anyways, record the concert. And so two weeks before the event, the worship leader gets hired away by a big church in the States and goes. And the pastor's left with nobody. Two weeks, it's all lined up. Thousands of people will be there, being recorded live. Doesn't know what to do. Well, somebody approached him and says, Pastor, says, just to let you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but if you're interested, there's a lady named Darlene, and uh, she sings on the worship team. I understand she does maybe a bit of a songwriting, but, uh, you know, it may, may be worth a conversation. So he talks to her, and, uh, and Darlene basically says, well, Pastor, you know, I'm willing to help in any way that I can. She says, I've written a couple songs. They're, they're not that good, but whatever I can do, let me know. So anyways, they go with that. They say, okay, Darlene, we're going to have you lead. And so it's the big day of the event. Hosanna Integrity is there to tape the concert. And Darlene sings a couple of her not-so-good songs. And one of them happened to be called Shout to the Lord. Anybody remember that song? Right? Well, the rest is history. 
But you see, the key is that Darlene was not looking for the spotlight. She was simply walking with God. She was a worshiper in the quiet place, in the, in the back room, in her quiet time. She would write what the Lord would give to her. She'd pen some songs and, and put some music to it and, and fellowship with the Lord. Why? So that when the Lord said, it's time, she's able to step up, not looking for it. But the Lord brings her into that place where she's ready because she's been prepared in that quiet place, behind the scenes. She prepared herself to be used by God. My question to us this morning is, are you ready if God tells you it's time? You see, in our Western culture, we just kind of tend to, you know, get ready when the event comes. We don't see a whole lot of value in the preparation, the discipline, because we have such an immediate gratification kind of culture. Everything's right there. We don't know what it is to, to kind of pay the price and invest the time when nobody's around and nobody's looking, and there doesn't seem to be any real purpose for it. And yet it's in those times that we're developing character, strength, and all the things the Lord needs so that we're able to come into the place He has for us. We're not crushed by the burden of it. We have been, we have been preparing ourselves not only in our skill, but in our character. So the Lord can actually be glorified through us. So I want to ask you this morning, are you ready if God says to you that it's time? Are you walking with God in spite of the people, in spite of the circumstances, simply because you love him, simply because he's good, simply because you want to be with him? The second thing we see Joseph doing is he, he pursued purity. He pursued purity. And he did so despite how things had turned out for him. Again, think about this. Joseph knows growing up, he's the rightful king to Israel. He walks by his house all the time, what should have been his house, right? But as a young man, as a teenager, he doesn't allow his heart to get bitter. He doesn't allow himself to resent God. Does that sound familiar? Right? Things don't work out well. What oftentimes is the attitude? No mind, we're being fed the lie by the enemy, but we can entertain it. What's the attitude? Well, God, if you're not going to help me, why should I help you? You know, if you're not going to be who I think, you, I think you should be, you know, then why would I bother making any effort in my life? Joseph could have done that. He could have been resentful. He could have just simply lived life his own way. He still could have gone to synagogue and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I, I don't doubt there were probably people in Joseph's day who said, Joseph, man, why are you so hard on yourself? Like, why, why are you such a good little guy? Why don't you join in some of the things we do? Why don't you enjoy some of the, the luxuries, the pleasures of our culture, of the Roman Empire? Why don't you do that? I mean, look, Joseph, where serving God has gotten you. Look where it's gotten any of us. King. I don't doubt there were people that spoke to him that way. But Joseph kept himself pure in a day when most everybody else just went with the culture. Joseph kept himself pure. You see, we live in a culture today, and it's been this way for a long time, but it's getting increasingly dark, increasingly worse. But we are living in a culture today that just mocks any kind of purity. It just mocks you if you even think you can be pure, let alone if you would want to be pure. And of course, those who believe that lie, many of them, their lives have been devastated and they're dysfunctional because they bought into the lie. But Joseph lived in actually an even more perverse society, and yet he does so as a man who believes in God and walks in God's ways and believes that God's ways work. But he didn't only believe these things about God. He also had the discipline in his life that he had to accept in order for him to fulfill what God was saying. And for example, we don't think of it sometimes, but Joseph got married to Mary. 
this woman he loves, this woman he's attracted to, this woman he wants to share his life with, and that he knows that he can't be intimate with her until after Jesus is born. I mean, I've followed you all this distance. Now we're married, and I still can't touch her. You see, it really calls on Joseph to say that because I believe God's promise, I'm willing to live in a way other than what I might prefer until the promise is fulfilled. Friends, there are things that God will call you to. There are things that God stirs in your heart. And we be very tempted sometimes, kind of like Peter said to John in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, Lord, what about them? And Jesus says to you, never mind them. You follow me. I have a call in your life. I've got a dream in your heart. There's something I want to do in you. And there's certain things in order for that to happen that you have to say no to. There's certain things you have to say yes to. Yeah, but what? No, 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 no. Forget about them. I know they're Christians. I know they go to your church. I know whatever the case may be. They may be doing some things you wouldn't do, whatever. Don't worry about them. You follow me. Look at me. I have a dream for you. I have a plan for you. There's things I want to work in your life. I have a calling upon your life. You have to decide whether or not you're going to be convenienced not doing certain things you might prefer if what I have for you is going to come to pass. You see, friends, if we really want to fulfill, experience some of the promises God has for us, there's a very basic principle, and that is that we have to learn to say no to certain urges for lack of a better word, certain urges that will always work against the promise God has for you. Now, I don't know what your urge is, but we've all got them. Your urge might be sexual. Your urge might be temperamental. It might be something about your personality. It might be that you always flare up and get angry or that you're always quick to not believe or to question, be be cynical. Whatever it may be, apathy, unbelief, prayerlessness, whatever it is, we all have an urge or urges that every time we aspire to something that God is speaking to us about, every time we dare to hope for something new, something different, something, a miracle that's going to change basically where I am, get me out of this rut because God has come to me, every time that happens, there's going to be an urge that's going to surface to try to drag me back down. Now, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I can think clearly of what that is for me oftentimes. And I have to decide in those moments when God speaks to me, am I going to get into that urge and be dragged back down? Or am I going to say no to that? Am I going to finally dig in my heels with the help of the Holy Spirit, whatever it needs to be done to deal with that, and say, no, I'm not giving place to that again? It may just be something as simple as unbelief. It's not a simple thing. It's a devastating thing. Jesus talked about the sin of unbelief. Why? Because the Lord speaks to you, and however you want to phrase it, there's a a thought that comes to your mind out of the way you've been conditioned because of your, your own life's pattern or because of demonic powers whispering to you. But there comes a word that says, that kind of thing doesn't happen in people like me. And so I, for another week or two, maybe I'm worshiping again, and, oh, God, could it be? And then the voice comes, no, oh right? Or you're doing well for a while, you're feeling close to the Lord, and there's a particular maybe sin sometimes, you get caught up in whatever it may be, you go to that again, and again, the enemy just drags you down. Whatever that urge may be for you, you have to stop giving into the lie that I have no choice, because I just don't have the power to overcome it. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. You are royalty, 
You see, that's what Joseph understood. Yeah, to everybody else, even though they know I'm the rightful king, I'm living like everybody else that looks like here. But on the inside, I know who I am. I know that I'm the king of Israel. I know I'm of the lineage of David. I know I've got royal blood flowing through my veins. I'm still going to live a different way. I'm going to live like a prince of God. I'm still going to position myself to be used by God. Who knows what God has in mind in the days ahead? Peter says you are royalty. You have been chosen by God, what? To tell about, to experience, to testify to the wonderful acts of God who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Friends, King Jesus lives in you. That's who you are. You are sons and daughters of God. You are royalty. Jesus said when he was resurrected from the dead, he said, now I've taken care of the enemy. I've taken care of all the sin problem. He says, now you have all authority. So get on with it. Get on with it. For this reason, the Son of Man was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. I have destroyed him. I've taken the keys, the power that he had over you. You are now free. Now get out there and set others free. That's who you are. Don't focus on what's going around you. Don't worry about the Roman Empire. Don't worry about the perversity. Don't worry about the lies and the narratives and all the stuff that's out there to depress you and to bring you into bondage to fear. That's not who you are. You've got to break out of that spirit, understand who you are, get on with the work of God because there's people who need to be set free. That's who you are. You are royalty. You are sons and daughters of God. And it was for the purpose of experiencing that purpose of God that Joseph was able to restrain himself. And friends, if we're ever going to experience the promises of God, we have to determine to be the people of God. We've got to understand what that means and walk in that. The circumstances may be different, but the same kind of thing that happened in Joseph happens in you and me. God comes to all of us, all of us, when we're tempted just to go through life. All of us were tempted just to get caught up with everything everybody else is caught up in, whether it's the pleasures or the styles or the recreation or the fears or whatever the case may be. We're all tempted to live in the same culture. And we may even choose to try to be a good person and try to, you know, just try to be a good Christian in the midst of all that, but essentially we still are dictated to by the same Spirit. And God comes to us in that environment, and he says, will you believe that I can move into your situation? Will you believe that I can do something in you beyond your imagination? Will you believe that? And will you believe enough to keep yourself pure in a day when it seems like everybody else it's just bought into it, bought into the lies. Joseph pursued purity, and finally, Joseph protected the promise. Friends, don't think for a moment that when you open your heart to God and you allow him to place that promise in your heart, don't think for a moment that Satan is not going to test your commitment, that he's not going to try to make you regret it. I'm kind of a sucker for some of those nature programs. I, I like those. And, and uh, I watched a documentary a long time ago. I kind of found it fascinating. It was about salmon. I love salmon. Uh, but these amazing fish, these amazing, I guess you call them animals, but they're amazing. They just swim for miles and miles and miles, come from the ocean, up these you know, streams, and they're swimming against the current. But then they get to these waterfalls. And like they're so focused on spawning on getting up to the spawning grounds, that they, all the energy they have, they just take this big run and they jump up the falls. It's beautiful to see. I'm free. 
and they land right in the jaws of a big old grizzly bear. It's like, oh, nuts. All that work. And a lot of them get caught. But way more get past the bears, the only thing standing between them and the spawning grounds. And they get there. But you know, when those bear catch them, I notice what's interesting. A lot of times, they don't even eat the whole salmon. What do they eat? They eat the belly. Because the belly has all the eggs. It's rich with protein. That's what they go for. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, that Satan prowls around like a hungry lion, looking for a victim to tear apart. Friends, hear me. Satan doesn't care about you. Now, I mean that. Like, he, he, just, he really doesn't care about you. You're just kind of in the way. What he cares about, what he's after, is what's inside of you. That's what he hates. That's what he wants to destroy. He's after the eggs in you. He's after the dreams that God has placed in you. He's after the destiny that God has on your life, the reason that he made you. That's why God said to the prophet of old and to all of us, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. I have a plan for you. Satan wants to destroy your dreams. He wants to destroy Jesus Christ being replicated in you because it is Christ in you who will do damage to the kingdom of darkness. That is what he is after. That's what he wants to steal from you. That is why he always tries to pull you down again. That's why he tries to fill you with hopelessness. That's why he tries to contaminate you with the spirit of the culture around you, to buy into that same spirit, to make you forget who you are. You're not just ordinary people. You're a peculiar people, set apart to God, a holy nation. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You aren't just people who believe in some God, who believe in some Christmas story. You are people in whom the presence of God actually dwells. You carry his presence everywhere you go. And the devil doesn't want you to know that or to live in that. But I thank God for his promise. Greater is he that is in you than he that is against you. And I thank God for the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would lead us and guide us safely through all of that. You see, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 that Satan doesn't have to have the upper hand over you. He says, because we know what his plans are. And friends, it's one thing to know what his plans are. It's one thing for us to come together and to worship the Lord and to sing the songs and to know the things in our head. But that's not enough if we will not learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. If we won't learn to protect the promises that God has placed within us. You see, Joseph listened to God. And because he listened to God, he stayed ahead of the enemy at every turn. It wasn't just a crazy King Herod that was trying to kill the infant Jesus. It was every single available demon that was trying to destroy. He had the powers of heaven and earth coming against him to destroy Jesus. But because Joseph listened to the Holy Spirit, he was always a step ahead. And the Lord was protected. The dream was protected. And the dream was fulfilled. Challenges, my friends, will always come. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But be encouraged. Because I am greater than anything this world will throw your way. So don't be distracted by that stuff. 
Understand the promise God has given to you. Cherish the promise God has given to you. Protect the word he has given to you, and you will see it fulfilled. And friends, his promise is not just some program that says, well, believe today and everything's going to be wonderful tomorrow. No. Joseph believed God's promise to him. And then months and years of discipline and obedience followed. You see, if we reduce our faith just to religiousness that justifies our own way all the time, we will never see a miracle. We will never see the birth of the Messiah in and through our lives. And if I would have an encouragement for any of us as we move into the new year, it would be that we'd just take the rest of this Advent season and say, Lord, I just want to spend some time with you. I just want to clarify some of the dreams you have for me. I just want to clarify some of the things. You see where I am right now. You might even be in a place right now yourself that's not of your own making. And there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos. I want to encourage you this morning, my friends, that is not God's last word over you. God's plan for you hasn't changed. God's dreams, God's purpose for you, how God would use you, that has not changed. But I want to encourage us during this Advent season to come and say, Holy Spirit, would you just help me to dream again? Holy Spirit, would you just show me those areas that there are any where I just, I just need there to be a purging? Uh, there's areas that are not pure anymore. Those areas where I've been given into that urge, that one thing over and over again that drags me down. Lord, would you help me over these next few weeks? Can we just begin to look at that? You may even need to, to call a brother or sister and say, you know what, as the Scripture says, I just need to confess some things to you. I need to get some of the works of darkness out in the air. I want you to agree with me, somebody that you trust. Will you pray with me? Can we join together? Can I be accountable to you? Because I'm sick and tired of this thing defeating me all the time. I'm sick and tired of just laying down on this level all the time. I want to break out of this and get on with the things that God has birthed in my heart. Or maybe you're here this morning, you need to begin to protect that promise God has given to you. You need to say, Lord, I need to start listening more to the Holy Spirit as you lead me. So just remember those three things. Number one, prepare yourself, and God will use you. Discipline yourself to be ready when God says it's time. Number two, pursue purity. Friends, you do have the power to say no to things that aren't worthy of you because you're royalty. You do have that power within you. And number three, protect the promise. Stay, Satan is always going to try to steal your dream. But if you will listen to the Holy Spirit, if you will listen to him in the little things, you know his voice as well as I do. When he says, no, 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 hey, that's not for you. Back over here. Or, hey, hey, you got to give yourself to this. Hey, it's been a long time since you developed this. You've been in my presence, in my word, whatever the case may be. It's been a while. Come on, get back on track. Hey, get back in church. Get back in church. Get back with the people of God. Hey, you've had enough coasting. Come on, let's go. Let's get back in the program. Whatever it is, the Lord is speaking to you for the new year. More than you even desire, God desires new things for you in 2022. He wants to be speaking those things to you now, raising those things up, resurrecting those things, planting new dreams, new visions, stirring your heart for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever it may be, to begin to live like royalty. But we need to get serious about those things that he's spoken to us about. We need to begin to protect those dreams, nurture those dreams, grow in those things, and see the Lord bring it to pass. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask the worship team just to sing this simple song over you. And in a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. and We're just going to give opportunity for prayer. But if you're here this morning or listening online, as we just listen to the words of these songs, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart 
And there may be something you know God has spoken to you about, but you've let it die. And the Lord says, I want to resurrect that dream. I haven't changed. I want to resurrect that dream. Or there may be something that always defeats you. And the Lord says, look, now's the time to do business with this. Come on. Let's deal with this once and for all. Make this thing, this urge, break it. It's time for it to stop dominating you. Or maybe something as simple as saying, Lord, I just commit myself again to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for just so easily being defeated when things don't go my way. Serving you when it is, not serving you when it isn't. Lord, forgive me for that. I want to love you and be led by your Spirit into new things. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.